This is Spencer. This is Matthew. Uh, and this is The Best, a podcast where we geek out about the things we love. Uh, I feel like, as our first episode, um, we should kind of give a little run over about what the hell this show is. Uh, I'm a senior, I'm graduating in a little bit, and I've always wanted to do a show. Um, and one of my friends was like, hey, you should do a show for Keiko. And here I am. And Matt? I am a sophomore, I believe. <laughs> one of those things, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm in there, in the middle, somewhere. Trying to figure shit out, as you do. As we all. Uh, so, this idea for a show came to me uh, after listening to a lot of McElroy podcasts, because I love them very much, and one of their shows, Wonderful, is basically just where one guy and his wife talk about wonderful things, and it's just a little ray of sunshine and love and happiness in this world, and that's the kind of energy I want to put out there. So, I feel like there are a lot of things that are non-sequitur, unrelated things that I could just talk about and i rarely have an opportunity to like talk about bonsais or how to grow uh potatoes in a giant cylinder or all the weird things that i have just all this random eclectic knowledge that's useful when i'm playing trivia and not a ton else <laughs> so i feel like this would be a great way of just talking about cool stuff what is the first cool thing that we wish to my first gush. cool thing yes my first cool thing is field guides so Matthew. Yes. Did you ever, as a kid, have, like, a field guide that was just, like, full of a bunch of birds or trees or squirrels or um, something I like that? I had one that was, uh, like, medicinal herbs. for Very specific medicinal herbs that you can find in the woods, and that was it. And I, I think it's still in a box somewhere. This is very good. I am a fan of medicinals. Uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> but... <laughs> For me, uh, my parents and grandparents just, like, lying around would have old, like, naturalist guides. Like, my grandparents had this, like, big three-ring binder that there were these, uh, like, uh, perforated pages that I think were put out by the National Geographic or something like that. But uh, each page would just be uh, a big info docket on some animal. And when I was a kid, when I was, like, four years old, like, as soon as I could read, uh, they just handed me this giant three-ring binder full of pictures of animals. And as a kid, that was excellent. And I would just, like, read through and be like, oh, cool, that's a shark. That's where, all, that's where the shark lives, and that's what the shark eats, and that's what it looks like. And this is the fish that the shark eats, and this is where the fish lives, and this is what the fish eats. And I feel like that as a way of, like, engaging... As a small person who didn't need a field guide, I wasn't going out looking at sharks in the real world. It was just a picture book with very cool animals in it. And so I engaged with that from a very young age. Uh, and now that I'm in college, like, actually using this kind of information, I'm realizing that some of this stuff is really cool because I am actually going out and looking at birds and trees and all that crap. <laughs> so, uh... Do the names Sibley, Peterson, or Audubon ring any bells? I'll give you a hint. They are all old white guys. That is a resounding theme in science before depressing yeah. recently. Yeah. The well, only thing that yes. Audubon I can think of is, like, the German highway. <laughs> that is true. There is a car, car road, track, highway. Highway called the Audubon. This is true. No speed limits. No speed limits. Gotta go fast. <laughs> Sonic's favorite highway. Anyway, back <laughs> the, to field uh, guides. These these are random guys that uh, all were kind of, um, uh, well, all three of them were um, ornithologists. The kind of whole uh, start to field guides came out of uh, birding in particular. I feel like bird people. I, I, ho I hope I don't ruff ruffle any feathers, so to speak, here. But bird people are... Uh, they're they're very categorical and very very specific people. There's a very specific type of person who becomes a birder and goes out and looks at birds and finds all the birds and checks all checks off a list of birds and has several books full of different kinds of birds and figures out what all the birds are. And they're very scientific people. Uh, they're very interesting people. Um, and it's something not everyone has the patience for. But uh, some of these people, some of the uh, early uh, ornithologists, uh, especially in America, kind of start kicked off this whole wave of uh, categorizing 
basically all of the birds. Uh, and this eventually has evolved into field guides of everything. Um, the Peterson collection of field guides, uh, named after Roger Torrey Peterson, um, who starting in the like, 30s and 40s, uh, started publishing and eventually um, editing and uh, leading this whole um, uh, book series of different field guides, uh, which include like a Peterson Guide to Fungi and uh, Eastern Trees and Birds and uh, Spiders and Rocks and everything out there in nature that you can break down into different categories and different sections. There's a book out there that's uh, very thin pages uh, with very well-documented um, photographs in the first half and then very detailed uh, descriptions in the second half, uh, bound up in uh, color-coded leather, depending on what kind of field guide it is. I know because I have far too many of them. <laughs> but these were just things I had growing up as a kid, and they were my picture books. Um, and this comes to mind right now because I'm taking Ornithology with Jesse Ellis, and our uh, one, one of our textbooks for the class is the David Allen Sibley uh, Guide to Birds, uh, second edition, which is all uh, illustrated. Something that's um, kind of different from Guide to Guide is how they do, uh, like, the, the actual um, visual identification. Um, way, way the hell back yonder, uh, um, John James Audubon, who kind of kicked off this movement back in the, uh, like, 1840s, um, he had this wonderful book uh, called, um, or Birds of America, uh, that's pretty obvious, um, and he painted everything. Uh, he was kind of like a landscape painter, and then he set off to go paint all of the birds in America, which is quite a task, and he ended up like uh, identifying, uh, I think like two dozen new birds, just all on his own. Um, he was definitely more on the side of, ooh, I have a gun and I'm gonna go shoot a bunch of birds, because you didn't have binoculars, really. You, this was early colonial America. Just the, uh, shoot it. <laughs> Just shoot it. The, the conservation movement wasn't, wasn't really a thing. Uh, birders today, there are still hunters, and those, those fields, you know, have, have some overlap. But in general, birding today has evolved more towards the binoculars, let's look at this cool bird point of view, instead of, ooh, this is a rare bird, I'm going to shoot it and hang it over my mantle. Which is why we don't have the, the passenger pigeon anymore. For that and lots of other reasons. But, um... Rip the pigeon. Rip the pigeon. Um, so anyways, Audubon painted all these stuff. Uh, Peterson guides are all full of really great uh, photographs. Um, and the Sibley guides are all uh, hand-drawn. These are just the most spectacular scientific illustrations that are like the perfect anatomy of just hundreds and hundreds of birds all drawn in, uh, almost looks like a colored pencil. Um... And yet they're like these perfect illustrations. And uh, I have the bird and tree guide. And somehow, like, just by um, drawing pictures based off of lots of different photos of whatever bird or whatever tree, uh, he's able to create a uh, kind of the amalgam of like the archetypal uh, beach gull or uh, red tailed hawk or whatever it is. Whereas any one picture, might if a if a photo is of one animal it's going to have uh it'll, it'll look a little different than any other every hawk is a little different from every other hawk uh but by kind of sketching things based off of a bunch of different photos kind of creates the archetype bird which is despite not being a photograph of something in real life honestly sometimes even more helpful so that's that's my uh, two cents on why field guides are super fucking fun, um, and I'm thankful that my parents already had the David Sibley uh, bird guide just <laughs> sitting in their kitchen when I got uh, the email for the required textbooks for this class, and I was like, oh, hell yeah, it's not the right edition. It's the first edition instead of the second edition, so few birds are in different orders, but eh, who cares? Same bird, same book. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm thankful that my parents already had a bunch of cool field guides and the stars just happened to align so that's why field guides are the best i personally mm. really enjoy libraries oh libraries are good man like i went through this phase of just getting all of the dinosaur books oh my goodness yes. all of the dinosaur books and only the dinosaur ones and 
and that would cause me to go out into my yard in the middle of summer in an apartment complex and start mm-hmm. digging up the yard because I'm like, mmm, I want to find bones. Uh, I feel like every little boy at one point, for however brief a time, all of us at one point wanted to be a paleontologist. If you it didn't, so you just cool. weren't. Yes, just go off in the woods and dig up a dinosaur bone and yes. find out about just these these dragons that used to be just like around. I just want to find a dinosaur. Is it so much to ask? Where do you, where do you think that comes from? I feel like a part of it to me is like when you're a kid, you imagine all these like fantastical things. Like you have stories of dragons and monsters and cyclopses and all these cool mythical creatures. And then at one point, you figure out that some of those crazy monster creatures were real, and that's a wild thing. Uh, anyway, dinosaurs. So dinosaurs. Dinosaurs, and I love them. I really wanted to find a tooth at one point. Mm. I just, I just really have a craving to just have a tooth. Of a dinosaur, or maybe just a shark tooth. I, I at the at the Minnesota State Fair as a child, there was this one store uh, that was like just a fossil store, and I went as a kid, and there were just like a bunch of fossils, and me in my brain, how I had always imagined and treated uh, fossils and dinosaurs and museums and having watched Jurassic Park and all that, had <laughs> had healthy respect for the fossil. My my dad raised me reading dinosaur books. Uh, we we were we stand the dinosaurs in the Willets household. Uh, so I found this store and they were selling dinosaur bones, like actual ass fossils. <laughs> they they were expensive, of course, but uh, I got a trilobite fossil mm. for fifteen dollars. That's not bad. Right? And me, in my little kid brain, I was like, wait a minute, this belongs in a museum. That moment from, from Jurassic, from, uh, 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 Indiana Jones, that belongs in a museum. <laughs> so do you. Uh, I picked this up and I was like, you're just gonna give this to me? This, this belongs to science. This is, this is a holy relic of, of a time gone by. There are so many trilobites. There are. <laughs> this is what I have, have come to understand, is that there's a lot of them, and... Yeah, science—they're science, giant pill bugs. They're everywhere. Yeah, science, science knows about the trilobites at this point. <laughs> we know. We we have <laughs> stopped caring now. Get these out of our possession, please. Yeah, seen a trilobite. We've done it. We've had it. They're good. Hell yeah! And then you know, also, uh, in Animal Crossing: New mm-hmm. Horizons, of course, the fossil part of the museum is the first one I fill out. Oh, of course. <laughs> It's very good. Oh, of course. I love all the big dinos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> what is next? Uh, what else is the best? <laughs> uh, what is next is the, the next best thing for Spencer um, in his life where he is at right now uh, is a video uh, on <laughs> YouTube from a long-ass time ago uh, simply titled, Why is the Rum Gone? Uh, I must tell you a story first. That this song uh, came back into my life uh, after a, a hiatus. This song uh, is a YouTube video that was posted on August 11th, 2007. This is a long, long time ago. The early halcyon days of the internet and YouTube. Um, which became a meme between me and my friends in middle school. Uh, for those, I'm assuming all of you, who haven't seen it, it's this dumb mashup video of... Little sound clips from the Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl, uh, masterpiece of film. We all agree. We all know this. Of course. Um, but all of these just little sound clips uh, arranged into a uh, music video uh, and eventually lead up into a song. The uh, refrain of which is, why is the rum gone from that time <laughs> they were stranded on the island and Elizabeth burned all the booze and Captain Jack was like, but why is the rum gone? <laughs> and that becomes the song. So, in middle school, me and my friends listened to this song and thought, ah, yeah, this is hot shit. Top tier comedy. <laughs> uh huh. Top tier comedy. Uh, remix videos on YouTube. We God. were all children. <laughs> <laughs> and one of my friends, uh, for 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 the sake of not telling anyone's actual name, we'll say his name was uh, Seamus. Uh, Seamus. <laughs> uh, 
and Seamus and I were friends. He was a, a year younger than me. Um, I think at this point we were in like eighth grade. He was in seventh. Uh, mind you, neither of us had at this point drank a drop of liquor in our lives. We thought, you know, one day we're going to be grown ups. We'll be cool and we're going to drink alcohol. And we, we declared after listening to this song like five times in a row that there would be a day in which we would never have to ask the question, why is the rum gone? Uh, in that mythical faraway land when we were 21 and could buy booze for ourselves. Uh, now this, of course, was us being foolish middle schoolers thinking we were cool and rebellious when this is just what every single teenager kind of wants. The, yeah. <laughs> uh, the I wish I could drink phase. Uh, which... Uh, is what leads us to um, earlier this week. Uh, now, I haven't talked to Seamus since uh, he and I, uh, since he went to another school maybe midway through high school. So at this point, I haven't talked to this man in like seven years, maybe six years, something around there. Uh, and I'm on Instagram, just kind of scrolling around, and I get a notification from Seamus saying, hey, why is the rum gone? I'm like, hello, we haven't spoken in quite a long time. It's been a minute, Seamus. How are you? <laughs> he says, the day has come. I'm 21, and the prophesied day has arrived. <laughs> we will never again have to ask, why is the rum gone? Oh, delightful. And from there, we just caught up and talked. But out of nowhere, apropos of nothing, this man I haven't talked to in six years texts me, why is the rum gone? And it just dropped me back square in the middle of middle school, uh, with my group of friends that I would hang out with every day and play Skyrim um, oh as, like, the God. first video game any of us ever played because Skyrim <laughs> was great. And just dropped me back in middle school, and so it's a, a wholesome little bit. So uh, with that, I will play you just a little clip of Why is the Rum Gone? That's not good enough! That's not good enough! That's not good enough! That's not good enough. That's not good enough. That's not good is the uh one of the first things on the internet that caught me and my brother and eventually my friend's attention as uh look at us we're so cool uh and this is the peak of comedy so <laughs> that is the second of my uh best things this week uh is why is the rum gone remix on youtube matt what else you got for me uh it's very specific to like childhood mm-hmm but my friend's basements. Not all of my friends mm. had basements, and I didn't for the longest time. I lived in, like, trailers and apartments. So having a friend that had a basement <laughs> fucking blew my mind. Mm -hmm. And so uh, my one friend, uh, Zach, you know, hiding names because, mm -hmm. obviously. Yes, Zach. Uh, <laughs> he had, like, the biggest basement out of all of my friends. I had a, a, my twin friends like they were twins they had like the creepiest basement mm -hmm. there's definitely a difference between creepy <laughs> basements that you didn't go in and basements that were a location for yeah sure. like zach's basement finished he had a punching bag down there we were having fun because we were dumb kids and we were mm -hmm. like ah ha ha punch the punching bag into each other mm -hmm. <laughs> he also had two dogs that's just Dogs, you know, dogs, dogs great. Good. Yes, but uh, we would spend hours just sitting on his giant bed. This child had a huge bed, <laughs> and we would just play Minecraft and Skyrim for hours. I love this. The many of the uh, aforementioned uh, Skyrim sleepover parties uh, took place in Seamus's bedroom, uh, <laughs> which or his his guest bedroom in the basement. Um, <laughs> 
and I don't know, there's something very, very little cave-like and yeah. safe and protected about, like, a finished good basement, you know? Versus my twin friend's basement that was rocky. Like, the stairs were still cement, and they were still, like, uneven stones. This basement was terrifying. Ooh, I got a story about stony basements. Oh, uh, it was awful. <laughs> so my uh, my grandparents, uh, on my dad's side, uh, they, uh, when they, when they, I think even before they retired, they had had this little piece of property uh, up in North Minnesota, and uh, my grandpa was, like, a, a real handyman. He was uh, a pipe fitter. He knew how to build stuff, uh, and so he built a little cabin, uh, and then he built a, like, two-story garage, or, ho or house on top of a garage, with, like, two doors, so it was, like, a fully finished house, yeah. and then they retired, and they moved up there full-time, and then my grandpa, in his retirement, uh, set about the uh, project of his retirement to build an even bigger house from scratch <laughs> from the ground up, and so my whole childhood, this, this started when I was, like, three or four so i've seen this house grow as i have grown up um but essentially they dug out the foundations um which since it's north minnesota it's a very rocky bouldery place yeah. uh included just a ton of boulders and instead of taking them out and laying it all flat they just dug down to a certain level carved around the uh the big boulders in the ground and then laid the concrete flat so once the concrete of the foundation was like in place there were like 30 large boulders just sticking up out of, of it uh, at weird odd angles but it, was, but it was high enough up that like yeah. the building was on top and to this day you go down to the basement and it's just flat concrete and then a bunch of boulders sticking up out of the ground you could make those into like house. furniture as, as a kid this was a playground oh, yeah. are you kidding we would go around just climbing all the rocks and then as he built the uh the full house there would just always be scaffolding yeah you don't have to do much to, to entertain, entertain a children. child. <laughs> I was up there the summer after I broke my arm. I was in a cast, <laughs> and I was swinging on the scaffolding like they were monkey bars. Children are indestructible, I tell With you With a this. broken arm. With a broken arm, <laughs> of, of course. course. <laughs> uh, I remember having a stupid little swing set in front of my house. Like, this is the one house that I actually had. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, <laughs> and I remember accidentally kicking my brother in the chest. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I'm five, he's three. Oh, yeah. You, he's yeah. very small. Yo, big brother, and I am brother going very fast. Is, is danger. Yes. <laughs> he flew so far. Oh, no. I felt, I, at the time, I didn't feel bad because... <laughs> <laughs> because you were the older brother yeah. and therefore an asshole still. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now I'm like, know. ah, damn, I can't... My, <laughs> my younger brother, my, my younger brother, who's uh, who's three years my younger, he and I have had a heart-to-heart -heart in the last few years <laughs> in which I apologized saying, hey, I was a dick when we were kids, right? And he was like, yeah. I If he would get mad, he would tell our parents that <laughs> I, I was the reason he was mad, always. Always. And so... Instead of letting him get to mom and dad to tell them what terrible thing I had done to make him mad, I would just, like, hold him in place <laughs> until he agreed not to tell them, which would take, like, 30 seconds of of just hulking out while just yelling at me oh, there... before he agreed to be calm, and then we'd talk things out like rational adults. I was there not was, a good brother. There was this one time... I was, we were at the table, and we were just, we were just making paper crafts. We were just making paper crafts and origami. But for some stupid reason, we had scissors. And my dad had left the room. Oh, no. <laughs> and so my brother looked at me at the ripe age of, like, four or five. We were both in school at that point. He looked at me, he said, those aren't sharp. <laughs> and I Best said... Kid. And I said, yeah, they are. Look how they cut paper. And I cut the paper. Oh, and he's like, they oh, can't be that oh, sharp. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> and so he held out his finger. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> you didn't, I Matt. Did, I did. I cut it. 
cut his I cut oh. his I cut my brother's finger with the safety scissors. Oh, and then he went and told my dad that I had done it without him saying do it. <laughs> this child okay, told that, me that to cut the, his finger. That is the flip side of the coin, is the older brother saying, Don't get me in trouble, and then the younger sibling <laughs> intentionally getting you in trouble. That is I, I was no, none of us are innocent. For a week because of it. This little shit. <laughs> it was so mean. And then, and then I bit him in the back once, like mm-hmm. very specifically, just bit his back. That doesn't. That doesn't seem like the we best were wrest- behavior. We were wrestling, and then he bit me back. So I mean, like, yeah, that's that's being a small child with brothers. Yeah. This is normal. But uh, <laughs> you know. Back on the topic of friends' basements, yeah, I had, I had a, I had a cool. fair number of. I, I had a finished basement, my friend, myself. Uh, my my parents' house was had one finished room and then the unfinished uh, bathroom or um, uh, not bathroom, laundry room. And Why is it room. always the laundry room that's unfinished? Uh, it's because you need to fit a washer and a dryer and that weird metal sink tub thing and the furnace or heater or whatever. <laughs> Boiler, that's the word. You got there's all the the like requirements of the guts of the house, and like you just kind of stick them in the one room that you don't care about. Yeah, you and just then, close the door yeah. and ignore it. And then that's where all the the ghosts and goblins live for sure as a kid because <laughs> that's the scary room that we don't that we don't go in. <laughs> yeah. Oh yes, my room was my house was haunted as fuck as a, as a child. Um, <laughs> we can talk about that a later day. Oh, uh, we can have an entire just one hour of. Oh God! Ghost stories. Yes, That's that'll a- be that'll be a special episode. We'll okay. do a special episode on how very haunted our houses <laughs> were as children. Uh, I have so many stories. Uh huh. But uh, basements are either uh, the really den cool? of the devil or um, the den of rowdy small children. Those are the options. There was there was a cave system by my house that was just called the Devil's Den. Oh yeah. I, f- I feel like every state has one that's similarly named, but mm-hmm. we also had the icebox. Ooh, cool. Uh, Caves are so fucking cool. The uh, the Twin Cities um, are built on top of these um, old, like, limestone bluffs uh, along the uh, the Mississippi, um, runs between Minneapolis and St. Paul. And in the 20s, uh, the cities were uh, not doing super hot as far as <laughs> Prohibition rum runners and Al Capone gangsters. Actual <laughs> Al Capone hung out in St. Paul every now and then because the city was super corrupt at the time. Oh, yeah. Basically, uh, the the uh, police department in St. Paul was super on the pay, and basically the policy was that um, if you hadn't committed a crime in St. Paul, the St. Paul police wouldn't, like, press you for it. because oh, you didn't do anything. Exactly. So what this would happen was you'd have this culture of uh, gangsters and mobsters in St. Paul who would every night run over to Minneapolis, <laughs> go rob a bunch of liquor st- or go not liquor stores, those didn't exist, go rob a bunch of stores, go stick up a bunch of people, and then run back over to St. Paul and say, ha ha, not Anna Boo Boo, you can't catch me. <laughs> and uh, this this was also um, kind of the same sort of like microcosm of uh, New England as far as like uh, the wealthy socialite uh, party scene happening. It was very... Great Gatsby-esque. Like, uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald actually spent a lot of time in the Twin Cities uh, in the 20s. It was a very different Twin Cities than it is now, but um, all of these uh, mobsters and um, uh, rum runners uh, who were um, essentially sneaking in um, illegal alcohol um, had these cave systems in these limestone bluffs, which is where this story started. Um <laughs> And so all of these little cave systems in these old old uh, um, cliffs, maybe like 50, 60 feet from like the street level down to the river, um, would be these tunnels f- of uh, smuggling dens. And mostly they're all blocked up and closed off, uh, but you can go into these old caves that wind through the, the limestone that uh, you can see the like places where... Uh, the smugglers would bring in bottles or bring in just these big barrels of uh, illegal alcohol during Prohibition. I think uh, when we took our band trip up to St. Paul and Minneapolis, I think we took a tour that 
like their building is in one of the old caves. Mm, there's a couple of those, yeah. Yeah, we t- we did one of those. That was really cool. There's um there's this uh dancing uh uh oh god, what's the word? <laughs> there's this place called the Wabasha Street Caves in the Twin Cities that are built into all of these old cave systems. Um and they've just been kind of turned into uh, a like bar and restaurant. I think it's been a couple of things throughout the years. I think it was built in the 20s and 30s. Um, and kind of in an homage to that F. Scott Fitzgerald, Al Capone-esque 20s and 30s era, um, it's been turned into uh, essentially a swing dancing bar. And like dance club, they've got the vibe. Exactly, it's it's very much the '30s vibe. Uh, but the Wabasha Street Caves every week has just this swing dancing night, and it's just this, at this point, old historic venue that every week has uh, Benny Goodman on the on the radio, and uh, you can just show up and go swing dancing as just this little step into a time machine, and it's this wild thing. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, the icebox in the Devil's Den was my favorite cave, but as a, as a wee child, I hated the dark. Mm-hmm. Now I have a much better appreciation for caves, but like, oh, you could not get me into a cave when I was a kid. I was yeah. so scared of the dark. But the icebox was, the, was uh, one where you went down a little valley, first and then the rock walls would just kind of like very slowly close over top of you Mm -hmm. and so like that one i was fine because there was still a ton of light in the entrance of the cave yeah so (laughs) and we would we would uh go there like every other summer at the time Mm -hmm. we it it was it was like a little bit of a drive but it was nice but uh it's called the icebox because that particular one got super cold oh yeah that makes sense like (laughs) the other one the one that is like the devil's den as why the park was named after it didn't get nearly as cold but i also don't remember because i never went into it (laughs) i I (laughs) fell down hardly the best uh, judge of that then (laughs) i fell down the first like flight of stairs Mm -hmm. quote unquote because they weren't stairs but they were rocks in the form of stairs but they were also really muddy all the time oh god yeah so they were trying to get me down the stairs and i all child brain could see was this massive black hole and i'm like uh no No. (laughs) so i slid down these stairs oh no matt (laughs) and i crawled my way back up in tears and just sat outside the cave while they went inside I, uh, I, have, my, my family knows this of me, because they've been the, uh, the, the laughing party, uh, in a lot of my, my childhood sad stories. <laughs> my, I have a couple of stories of haunted houses. Oh my god. In which I would start out being like, yeah, I can do this, and I'll be going in with my family, and then I'll get, like, two, like, rooms into the haunted house, and then I'll just say, nope. No, I actually can't do this. This is bad and it's scary and I'm leaving. And then I would. And I would just walk out. And then they would sit there and laugh at me for being too scared of the dumb ghosts and animated werewolves or whatever. At least you could get two rooms in. (laughs) I went to like a a week-long camp. And they they decided like, hey, it's fall. You're not Mm -hmm. in school yet. We'll just do a mock haunted house. As you do. (laughs) I think you'll start to see a trend here, because uh, me and a group of friends were going in, and I look down the stairs, <laughs> and I see a clown, and we we're like halfway down the stairs, and at the point, I was terrified of clown. I still hate clowns. Mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I don't touch them, but like at, the, at that point, I was like, ah, no, and so I went to turn to run back up the stairs, and I fell down the stairs. <laughs> I am not coordinated. <laughs> How I got through marching band was a mystery. I I am very you, very clumsy. You, you do I yes, yes I know this. This this about you. You do your best. <laughs> Stairs are my enemy. <laughs> and no matter the age, I will fall down the stairs. 
so this this cave, uh, w would they do the thing where they'd bring you into the cave and then it would be all electric light and then they'd have everyone just kind of like sit down and be like, yeah, but do you know how dark it really is in a cave? And then they turn the lights off on you for like 30 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. That's spooky. I, I've had done a couple of cave trips like that. Like my, my grand, my, uh, grandparents and my parents on separate trips, uh, have gone like out West and we stopped by, um, like wind cave and crystal cave in, I think they're both in South Dakota. One of, one of the Dakotas. Probably. Somewhere, somewhere out there on the plains. Um, and of course they would do the thing where they'd bring you down into the cold, cold cave. Uh, and then we'd all sit down and they turn the lights off and then tell you like horror stories about like people who would come in here with like single candles back in the like 1800s and then the candle would blow out when they're like a half mile into the cave and they'd spend like days wandering trying to get out i'm like yeah thanks i don't like that at all and then they turn the lights off on you and say good luck and they're like yeah imagine i'm like i actually would rather not imagine that particular instance i, I remember doing that with a, a school field trip in the cherokee caves in arkansas mm. And then they did that, and I'm sitting there like, ah, we just passed a bunch of bats earlier. Oh, but that's cool. I <laughs> yeah, love bats. The bats, bats are so cute. Bats are cute. Bats are so cute. I got stuff about bats, actually. Oh, I love bats. So, so, so my thing about bats is that I love them. I love them very deeply. They're yes. very good. Um, my mother hates them. <laughs> very bad, doesn't yeah. like them. She has a very, uh, very specific reasoning. Behind it, yeah, which I'm sure. I totally get, and it's just the fact that they fly all around your head. <laughs> Anything that does that, that be small and fly all around your head, she doesn't like it. Birds, being a big bird cage where little birds fly all over your head and land on you, no, not about it. That's <laughs> there. There is a place in the uh, again the Minnesota State Fair that's a a big um, uh, butterfly house. Ooh. Those are so cool. Yeah. Those are always great. You go through and you try and get as many butterflies to land on you as you can. <laughs> she just, doesn't do it. Just be really sweaty. Yes, that is good advice. Actually, I hadn't thought of that, but yeah. It's yeah. Yeah, butterflies are great. They like they like sweat. They're weird. They like salt. Hmm. Yeah, sure. I mean, I guess deer like salt. Like we like salt. <laughs> Everything likes salt. Why is that? I'm gonna get off trap. I'm gonna get off topic. <laughs> I'm putting. I'm putting down why. Why salt? Uh, why salt? That's that's gonna be a topic of conversation down the road. I got thoughts. I anyway. got thoughts about salt. <laughs> Your mother. But anyway, my mother uh, butterfly house. My mother does not want to go into the butterfly house anymore <laughs> because I don't think she ever did it. But she's multiple times expressed her deep concern that if she goes into this house of nightmares for her, a butterfly is going to land on her, on her arm, and she, out of pure desperation, is going to smack it as hard <laughs> as she possibly can because she does not want little flying things landing on her. Oh my god, And no. who wants to do that in front of, like, a, a field trip of small children or whatever? <laughs> you don't want that. She doesn't want that. Just traumatize the kids. Go smack, smack, smack. Go murder all the butterflies. No, that's not what the butterfly house is there for. It seems like you'd get in trouble for that. Just bring a fly swatter down. Oh, that ain't it. So, so bats. bats. Uh, What's your favorite bat? That's her stance on bats. What's My stance on bat? bats. Okay. My favorite bat? Yes. I saw a video on Reddit. I was going around on Reddit a couple days about this very old fruit bat. Have you seen the very old fruit bat video? Oh, yes. Oh, it's so good. Oh. There's this very old fruit bat. He's like 30 years old or something. He's supposed to be like the oldest fruit bat in captivity. He's so good. And like the uh, um, the Wildlife Rehabilitation Center, or wherever they have him, um, is... Uh, he they, they, they take care of him and they feed him and all that, um, like all their animals. But he's too old to fly it's without like crashing and hurting himself. And so instead, they pick him up by his little belly and like... Carry him yes. around like you carry a baby uh, while making like airplane sounds, and they just like fly him around, and he's just sitting there in hands and it's kind of like flapping his curled up withered wings because oh, he because he looks like he thinks he can fly still, and then they just kind of swoop him all over, and I then they bring him down to a a big big bowl of fruit. I love. So, I personally love the Australian flying foxes because they're fucking huge. Oh, so they're good. big, and then I also okay. just love the way. That they make bat burritos, and they bat just... burrito. No, 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 not like that. 
<laughs> no, like uh, you know, you you'd wrap the bat up in a, in a blanket and you just make a little, oh, little like baby that, yes. burrito. A little swaddle. Yeah. Yes. It's so good. When zookeepers swaddle a bat, that's very cute <laughs> to me. And then they just they do it because you know they're at, at birth they're used to being held very closely by their mom when they're hanging upside down, just very tightly wrapped up in the wings. So the blanket is like an extra pair of wings around them, mm-hmm. and they just like sit there, and they're just like, "Yes, this is comfy. I'm all about this shit. Give me that banana." <laughs> and I love them so much. Like look at their little faces. Their little faces. Their are little, good. little they little got nice big puppies. eyes. I think like. One of one of the complaints people could have, the people who think bats are creepy, is the fact that they're too small. It's like it's like a bug that it's small enough you can't really see all the features and it's just a skittery thing. It's like I never see a, a spider in close enough detail to fully appreciate it. It just skitters and I don't like see, that. See, I'm the opposite. But but uh, a, a fruit bat. A flying fox, something that's very big, that fixes that problem. Yeah. That's big enough that I'm like, ooh, that looks like my cat, but it can fly. Yeah. It's big enough that, like, I can appreciate that as a very cute animal, because it's, like, on the same level as us. It's, yeah. It's, it's on a small see, side, but it's close enough I can still see all of it, you know? I, I'm the opposite. Like, if I see a spider from far away, I'm fine. The second I can start seeing every individual eye, I'm like, I, I'm freaking out. Oh, <laughs> boy. <laughs> Oh no, this isn't the best. I'm sorry to bring us into negative oh, bad, no. bad times. The worst. This is the the worst is those terrible little silverfish. Do you know the terrible silverfish? I don't think I do. I'll pull up do. a picture of the terrible silverfish. It's the I'm worst a, thing. I'm a little afraid. Uh, <laughs> or uh, the house centipede. They're awful. Uh, essentially, you mean like earwigs? they're no, not earwigs. No, not kind of like earwigs. <laughs> they're these things. Oh no! So d- don't. If you don't like Ooh. bugs, don't look it up. <laughs> don't. Yep. That's my recommendation. That if is... you're cool with very awful things that look like they just stepped out of the set of the Alien movies, <laughs> look up House Centipede and go Ooh. on Google Images and Ugh. enjoy your nightmares. No, please. <laughs> but there's centipedes whose legs are like way too long and way too segmented, Ugh. and they have just a million of them, and they just like writhe along. And they lived in my basement. Back to the basement. Back to the basement. The worst of basements. I loved my basement. It was very good. Except. There were always like one or two of those things somewhere. And it would just like skitter up the wall. Mm. And then down to the floor. And then I couldn't find it. Yeah. And then that's the worst. And then you live in fear. Because now the basement has turned hostile. (laughs) It has become an unfriendly place. My little little den of this is where the TV and couch are. Is now battlegrounds of where the fuck did that thing go? (laughs) It's TV and couch and a creature from my nightmares that I can't see. See, one summer. We, like, my house is very old. And... Uh, the earwigs. The earwigs are awful little demon creatures that... Have you seen a queen earwig? They're huge. No. They're... F- like, you know how big an earwig is? They're, like, they're not, they're a not segment of your pinky. Yeah. Like, oh, I don't like yeah, that. no, they they're big. Wings? They're big, they and they have, have wings. They have pinchers. Like so, I don't like it at all. so her tail will come up like a fucking scorpion, ah, and like c- come at you. Ah. But one summer, uh, I was sleeping in my room, and I'm just trying to sleep, and I feel one on my neck, like one of the itty bitty ones. This. Uh. I feel one on my neck, and I'm, like, starting to freak out because, ah, there's a bug in my bed. This is my bed. This is my safe spot. <laughs> and so I turn on the light, and then within a half hour, I proceed to smack seven more of them. I don't like it. And I couldn't sleep that night because it was the worst I'm, of earwigs. I'm, I'm sorry, audience. I promise down the road I will uh, avoid such... Uh, fearful and distressing topics. This this <laughs> podcast should be a safe space, and I feel like that that safeness has been violated by the awful, horrible, godless monsters that are earwigs and centipedes. centipedes. Well, not all centipedes. I like I like normal centipedes. Again, it's like when they're big enough that I can see all their parts. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, that's cool. And then you that's, have that's this... a big bug, but like I can see it all. Yeah. And it's small <laughs> enough that it's just a writhing shape on the wall. <laughs> There's a dent in my basement wall from a kid where I saw it on the couch 
I was on the couch. Walls over in the corner. I my shoes are off. I take up a shoe. I throw my shoe across the wall. It kills the bug. There is a, there is a dent in the in the the drywall of my basement no. of the house I grew up in. For me chucking a shoe at it. We don't like that. We don't like the bugs. That's so good. Well, some bugs. Most bugs are good. It's just, you know, those ones. The ones that I'm afraid are going to do awful things in my sleep. Yeah. I'm not going to go into detail because I, I don't want to... <laughs> don't want to make it the worst. No, no. Not... Well, also because I just don't want listeners to be like, Ah, I can feel that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, 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 tr I promise not to abuse the ears of my listeners. Uh, I think in conclusion, basements, uh, usually excellent... Sometimes very scary, sometimes very, very scary, and home to monsters. Uh, do you mind if I go next? Yeah, I got go a thing. ahead. Go ahead. Uh, my next thing is hammocks. Hammocks. I realized a thing about me, I think maybe about where I'm coming from. I say that word weird sometimes. The way I just said it right now, that's normal, right? Hammocks. hammocks. Yeah. I, maybe I just grew up in a very metropolitan region i grew up in a very large city um and because of that there's a lot of like regionalisms that kind of all get blended together like you could call it soda and pop and i wouldn't care or you could be one of those lawless bastards that says soda pop no that's terrible <laughs> and you also can't call it coke because coke is a brand um no, you can still do that i don't care if i'm ostracizing the south um <laughs> get better soda uh or get better pop get apparently. better coke <laughs> um I'm not acknowledging or paying <laughs> to that. Uh, but one of one of those like dualisms yeah. of, of of regional speech is I say hammock two ways. I can either say hammock or I can say hammock. I don't like that. I know because <laughs> everyone I've told that says, "What the fuck did you call it? Hammock?" I mean, yeah. that's how it's spelled. It's hammock or hammock. And I've, I've done some research online. Most people say hammock, and some people say hammock. Some well, people say hammock. Okay. I don't like that. That's... Or with an E, hammock. Hammock. Okay, yeah, I can see which that. Which I could understand. Re it's, I mean, regionalisms are all in how you how you uh, phrase the vowels. Yeah. Like front goating, front goating in uh, southern dialects. is It's just all how you, uh, you convey the vowel sounds. So, <laughs> so yeah, it make it makes sense that that's, was, that could be weird. When but I was a kid, I called them swing beds. Swing beds is that is appropriate. That's I, accurate. I also just couldn't say hammock when I was a kid, <laughs> so I just called it a swing bed. <laughs> that was a very dumb kid. <laughs> no, none of us were perfect. I only realized there's so many things we don't realize until we realize them. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize what Arby's meant. I thought it was just a name. I didn't know that A-R-B-Y uh, apostrophe S was short for R-B-S, which was short for roast beefs, mm -hmm. which no one explained to me ever. And also, I didn't realize their dumb fucking sign was supposed to be hat? a cowboy hat. It doesn't look like it. That is a bad cowboy yeah, hat. I, I was very thoroughly confused by that for but a long like, time. I didn't question either of those things because of the, the, the large presence that... Arby's filled in my life was non-existent. I never, I, I've been to Arby's like five times in my life, maybe. I, I love Arby's. They have a uh, chocolate and like coffee shake. Ooh. It's so good. It's ooh, called ooh. a Jamocha shake. Go get it. It's a treat. That sounds like the best. It, it, it really is the best. But all of this is to say, yes, we all say dumb things or not realize what we are saying or how to say things or where, what anything means because we are all making it up as we go along and no one tells us the whole story <laughs> the whole story about hammocks though do you know where hammock comes from no do you know where the word hammock comes I from? i do not do you know where the object of a hammock comes from because it comes from multiple places turns out of course it does but do enlighten us uh yes the uh the, the word we currently use for hammock i swear to god that word's gonna lose all meaning in like <laughs> t minus five um the word hammock uh comes to english through spanish um which was uh originally the word uh hamaca h-a-m-a-c-a uh, -A, which was itself borrowed from uh taino and uh, arawak words uh h-a-m-a-k-a -A, hamaka mm -hmm. i'm sure i'm pronouncing that wrong probably i do not speak arawak sadly 
And I also don't really speak Spanish. I can get by in Spanish. But that's not what this episode's about. This episode's about hammocks. <laughs> so, um, what we call the hammock and the, like, uh, etymological origin of hammock came from the fact that uh, a lot of um, native Central American cultures were big on the hammock. Uh, so that's kind of why it first entered our lexicon through um, Spanish, through the awfulness that was uh, Spanish colonialism. Um, however, if Spanish colonialism did one thing for the world to make up for all of the genocide and bad things, uh, was that it gave people hammocks. We also got hot chocolate. We did also get chocolate and corn. Yeah. So Iowa has its cultural identity because of <laughs> the Mayans, and we can be thankful for that. Um but hammocks in particular uh, were a uh, common way of bedding for um, a lot of native cultures in Central America and the Caribbean. This was really useful um, because if you kind of think through like the logistics of you live on a, a tropical warm island or uh, very heavily forested uh, jungle coastline or mountains in Central America. You don't really want to be sleeping on the ground. You don't want to sleep on the ground, because there, what's on the ground? snakes! There's snakes on the ground. There's lots of snakes that are going to bite you, and terrible ants that are going to eat you uh, alive, and ants. scorpions, and spiders, and lots of bad things. And like, Well, most of those can climb, but yeah. <laughs> those can climb, but like, a spider on the ground needs to follow like several points of connection before it can get to you if you're in a hammock. Right. If you're in a tent, or just like on a bed on the ground, it just climbs up the side and it bites you. <laughs> no one likes that. Plus, uh... Hammocks, for all I love them, uh, not necessarily great at preventing the cold. It's not a very warm... I mean, you can you can bundle up in a hammock, yeah, but, like, it makes sense to me that, like, the, the hammock would have been the invention of people living in a tropical rainforest and not, like, Norway or Siberia, right? <laughs> they don't need to be warm exactly <laughs> if, if you live in a place without winter you don't have to worry about preserving central heat like airing out and cooling off at night is probably a little more in your in your uh wheelhouse <laughs> still got mosquitoes to deal with that Ugh. doesn't solve that problem but the fire does that's true <laughs> just stand in smoke for like 20 minutes this is very true <laughs> Uh, we'll get to that. We've, we have in years since, uh, kind of mastered the, uh, art of bug nets around hammocks, which I am very grateful and thankful for. Um, but, uh, the, the, uh, Caribbean and Central American hammock is not the first or only place that that idea evolved. Hmm. So kind of the, uh, the Central American hammock style was mainly from, um, woven fibers, uh, like ropes that were tied into, um, netting, um, kind of in the same way you'd weave a fishing net. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it'd be tied from two anchor points. Sometimes different designs would have, uh, a support bar. You know how, like, um, you have the big, like, rectangular, uh, hammocks yeah. in, like, people's backyards that yeah. has, like, um, a stiff support beam on to both keep sides. keep the bed street. Yeah. Um, some, some versions had that. Others were just, like, two anchor points, uh, and then big net that you sleep in. Mm -hmm. um, uh, very useful, very very wonderful. We are thankful for the hammock. However, like like everything, um, the English also claim claim credit for this one. Ugh. They it's 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 just a debated thing. So there's um, there's textual and some. Uh, like hand-drawn evidence of hammocks or something that very much looks like it. Um, again, obviously that wouldn't have been the word for it. Uh, but there's, um, uh, an example in this, was it the Luttrell Psalter? Uh, which I'm sure I'm saying wrong, but, uh, essentially this old medieval manuscript from the 1340s, uh, which was an illustrated uh, edition of the Book of Psalms. That's why it's a Psalter. Uh, essentially, they were these old medieval manuscripts that were kind of picture book style versions of um, the Book of Psalms. So you knew how to sing all the Jesus songs. Yay! <laughs> uh, which you, know, you would want to do um, if you were a, a peasant in the 1300s in England. But in <laughs> one of these old old English manuscripts, there's a picture of a guy 
sitting next to a suspiciously hammock-like bed. And we have lots of textual evidence of people referring to uh, hanging beds. This doesn't seem to be, like, super common, and we don't have a lot of, like, archaeological evidence that this was used, but also, what archaeological evidence is a hammock going to leave behind? It's a piece of cloth, basically. Yeah, if it's made out of plants, it's going to decay pretty exactly. easy. Uh, so it doesn't seem like this was super widely used, uh, and the first official uh, written description of what we might now call a hammock uh, from English sources comes in the 1500s, so suspiciously after Columbus and all of that Spanish goodness mm -hmm. where they did all the bad stuff, but also brought us hammocks, uh, as previously mentioned. So... Uh, these new naval hammocks, which uh, quickly spread to be, like, the way sailors slept in boats. Um, this kind <laughs> yeah. of emerged in, like, the 1500s, 1600s. Um, and if anyone has a hammock, this you could see how this would make sense. So you'd have all of the sailors sleeping on a big uh, ocean ship, uh, and at night you'd, like, string out all of your hammocks and all sleep in them. Uh, and then in the morning, you just fold them up and stick them to the side because, you know, limited space on a boat. Yeah. Makes sense. They're very lightweight. They don't take up a lot of weight. Um, but also, hammocks are super useful for sleeping in boats for a couple of other reasons. Um, for example, the, uh, the motion of the ship. So the, mo the ship kind of sways back and forth, um, depending on, like, the waves and uh, weather, sometimes pretty severely. <laughs> if you were in a bed or, God forbid, a like elevated bunk bed <laughs> and the but and the uh, whole ship suddenly curves to the side a little bit and you roll out of bed you're gonna crack your head and like there's lots of records of like sailors dying pretty regularly from falling out of uh, like stiff bunk beds ah, fall in damage storms. in real life fall damage in real life is a thing uh but when you have hammocks hammock sways yeah it's it's not like I just, totally i just i keep thinking of like yeah okay hmm. they swing out to the middle but what happens if the boat swings to the other side too fast and you just get slammed against the wall like a little meat bag i mean <laughs> i suppose better than falling like 10 feet to the ground but like you know yeah <laughs> be a punching bag swing back and forth would they bounce into each other if they're too close together, I'm imagining like the um. Oh God, I'm, I'm envisioning the uh, the Newton's cradle where yes! one one hammock bounces into another hammock bounces into another. Would on a calm night, would one they'd all be perfectly still and kind of near each other, and then the one guy at the very end would like pull himself all the way to the side and just <laughs> slam into his friend and do the wave button hammock. I want to do that. Oh, that would be good. I want to do that so bad. Oh, that's that a sounds lovely image. like the best <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was dumb i'm sorry that's no that was delightful i loved that image <laughs> uh so these these new naval hammocks um which were popularized in european fleets uh in like the 17th century um are kind of how the uh specifically the this idea of the caribbean hammock uh entered um western uh life for um, americans and europeans um and uh, through that, it eventually grew to this kind of leisure luxury thing. It kind of became associated with uh, vacationing. Um, often these um, sailors would, like, bring hammocks home because, hey, hammocks <laughs> are awesome. Um, there's also a little healthy blend of uh, American vacation culture in, like, oh. the 1920s of, hey, let's go to the Caribbean. We, we have that great little uh, unofficial <laughs> colony in, in Cuba. Let's, let's go down and... Uh, Party, party in the Caribbean and swing in a hammock and drink drink <laughs> rum out of a coconut. There's there's a bunch of uh, old like vacation posters I have found of like, hey, go swing in a hammock and it's old time. <laughs> That's the only good part of it. I mean, just go be in a hammock. There's there's other stuff, yeah, but it, it became this like kind of uh, the epitome of a leisure thing. Yeah, uh, I think to some extent there's the archetype of the the college. Uh, hacky sacking ultimate frisbee player lounging <laughs> in a hammock yeah i think that 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 archetype is still alive and well to some extent i miss the hammocks oh hammocks are good my my loft is arranged in such a way that i can string a hammock up underneath it and i sleep in it on the reg and it's very good lucky you <laughs> uh -huh. hammocks in space let's talk about this how now. would that work so yeah space is your og right yeah yeah you don't sleep in the hammock in space no the way the I, I found this in my research and I must include this. This is so very, very cool. During the Apollo program, 
Uh-huh. Um, starting in, I think it was uh, Apollo 12 and onward, um, the lunar module, like the actual uh, lander piece that they would land on the moon, uh-huh. would include uh, two hammocks for the um, captain and uh, module pilot. Right. Because you got a little bit of gravity on the moon. Um, it's not a ton. Ex- exactly. <laughs> it would be useless in zero gravity, obviously. Unless you like cocoon. <sighs> What if you just made, like, little metapod hammocks and just sleep in that in space? You could... Okay, zero-G, envisioning this. Yes. You could just get one of those, like, mummy bag uh, (laughs) sleeping bags and then just, like, cinch the drawstring up and just, like, squeezes around your face so only your face is exposed. (laughs) And you just, like, tie your feet off to something. Or not even that. You just kind of, like, drift and bounce around (laughs) and hope you don't bump into anything important. No, you're right. Tie, tying it down to be important. There's there's a cable on the bottom of the sleeping bag that just, ties to an anchor point or whatever. You just kind of like float and ever so gently bump into your buddy. Every, yeah. Just go hit the wall and come back. <laughs> Two pendulums bouncing into each other. Oh goodness. Um, I love. So yeah, that. yeah. In the uh, the the lunar modules, conserve space. Same reason you had them yeah. on on ships. Uh, you have enough gravity that like a hammock weighs down, and for the most part, yeah. So that's what they would, uh, what the astronauts would sleep in between their moonwalks when they yeah. were on the moon. So I just love the fact that people have canonically swung in hammocks in space on the moon, <laughs> and I love that. That's very good info. Vacation, but to the extreme. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, to this day, uh, the Maya-style hammocks uh, are woven and produced and sold in the Yucatan, and they're this really big um, kind of cultural uh, touchstone. They are a little misnamed because um, my, most historical records that I could find uh, think this is kind of a misnomer because they it doesn't seem like hammocks as we recognize them now were actually a part of like classical-era Maya civilization. Um, seems more like they were kind of brought to Mexico later on, like maybe a century or two before the Spanish. Uh, but nevertheless, if you look up Maya hammock, like M-A-Y-A hammock, uh, there's a bunch of these, um, really beautiful handwoven, uh, hammocks that are, uh, produced and exported as a, um, cultural export of the Yucatan Peninsula. Um, the country of El Salvador... Uh, also in Central America, is another huge producer of hammocks. And the valley in which uh, San Salvador City um, is located uh, was dubbed the Valley of Hammocks. Uh, The sources I read have conflicting explanations for why. Obviously, lots of hammocks. Yeah. Uh, They slept in hammocks. This was a thing. Um, I I found in a lot of uh, Central American um, homes, like to this day, uh, they, most homes will include, um, hammock, uh, hooks, like, built into the walls. Like, that's just, like, a part of architecture in some Like America. how we just have, like, a toilet. Yeah, exactly. Like, a, a specific room for toilets. Yeah. They just or, have yeah. bed it's, hooks. It's just a feature that, like, even modest homes in most Central American countries will often yeah. just come with hammock straps, which I love, and come on, if we're building houses, I want, I want a hammock strap. Add hammock house, straps to houses. Please. Um, so some sources I have read, uh, claimed that, uh, everybody in El Salvador had hammocks because it would, quote, repel earthquakes. I'm, I'm confused if this means maybe that they, you know, you can swing in an earthquake and, like, it doesn't wake you up, but it doesn't seem like it would protect your house from, like, breaking on you. You know, for very, very sure that this was, like, uh, the gods don't want us sleeping on the ground. (laughs) Ah, Yes. (laughs) <laughs> you know very well that that's what that was. Sure, of course that's how. <laughs> yes, so I, I found a couple of sources saying uh, hammocks repelled earthquakes, because El Salvador gets a lot of earthquakes right on a on a fault line. Not their fault. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was unintentional, but thank you. <laughs> the, uh, the, the, the Spaniards apparently claimed that the uh, Valley of the Hammocks referred to the fact that uh, the earthquakes would rock the whole valley like an earthquake, which also seems maybe a little mean-spirited, but eh. my personal thought is... Neat. <laughs> I mean, they had hammocks, and... <laughs> they had the cool thing. Enough said. Um, lastly, yeah, modern hammocks. Um, the kind of style of hammocks has evolved into a million different things. Uh, you got those, um, like, straight bar hammocks that mm-hmm. 
everyone has in a backyard or has, you know, those ones kind of like strung up on like a metal suspended yeah. uh, support thing. Those, uh, like that kind of suspended bar style is actually a little less stable, um, has a slightly higher center of gravity. Um, but I found a couple of examples where um, they'll be strung up from three anchor points instead of two. Like they'll have um, one support bar on one side with one bar with one uh, cable coming out of it, yeah. and then just the other two corners not oh. connected to a support bar, and both of those cables will go to separate trees or whatever. Interesting. And that is like unflippable if you goddamn tried. <laughs> so lots of different cool things you can do with that. The um, kind of advent of like the nylon style, super compactable travel or camping hammocks, which is what uh, my current one is. Um, those uh, have kind of brought um, hammocks into like a, a level of convenience that I think jives with a lot of outdoorsy folk because it's this tiny little fold-upable, basically tent if you have the right accoutrement. They've made, uh, uh, as I've said before, mosquito nets to keep the bugs out, uh, rain flies to keep the rain off of you. Um, essentially, you can have this tiny little tent that you can carry in your backpack that is essentially the everything you need to live in the woods moral like, of the story go buy a fucking hammock oh yeah go buy a hammock <laughs> uh hammocks are the best so matt you got anything last before we go ah uh, no Any, i uh, think i think my last uh one one sentence thing of the best hollow trees hollow trees are just the best you yeah. know a tree that like has either fallen down and it's got a really really big hole where the middle is rotted out or just like a tree that's hollow on the inside and you can, like, put stuff in. Yeah, that's cool. It seems very magic to me. Yeah. You know what else is the best? What's the best, man? Making a nest in bed of just pillows oh, and blankets. Pillow nest. Pillow nest. The best. The best. All right. I have been Spencer. I have been Matthew. And this has been The Best. Thank you for listening. <laughs>